All right, that's the cue for the children to go ahead and leave tonight. These are precious little servants of the Lord in the making. Amen. Back uh, back in Denver, when um, I led the college of uh, the sorry the young married class, <clears throat> uh, some of the parents would come distressed. Uh, you know, our child doesn't respond well to you know training or discipline. And so sometimes I would say to them, well, you know, until they're, uh, they've reached an age where they can be born again, they're simply cute, cuddly little reprobates. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, um, I'm thankful for the ministry here that just loves children, loves teenagers, and invests in them. It's not just talk. The ministry here puts their money where their mouth is on youth ministry and children. Thank you for that. Well, tonight we're going to be in uh, the book of Acts, but I want you to first turn to the book of 2 Timothy, the book of 2 Timothy. My outline is very simple, the charge, the confident concern, clear conclusion, then a demonstration with some transitional sentences. But 2 Timothy now, I'm going to have you turn there, 2 Timothy chapter 4, and thank you, Pastor Rick, he had some tough words in his... Uh, scripture reading tonight. I told him, if you can pronounce, um, you know, Dionysus the Areopagite, you can send me the bill, Pastor. <laughs> so, Second uh, Timothy, though, Second Timothy, chapter four. Now, look at this charge that Paul gives his young apprentice in ministry, Timothy. He says this: "I charge thee," and that charge is a solemn command. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Tonight's message is entitled The Exhilarating Adventure of Lifestyle Evangelism. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm asking for the help of your spirit just as every speaker who comes behind this pulpit. But Lord, more than that, that something said tonight uh, will be an encouragement and a help and that your people would be equipped for that moment, maybe this week, um, that you give us with the unsaved to give the gospel, share the gospel, preach the gospel. In your precious holy name we pray. Amen. So here in 2 Timothy, as mentioned already, Paul is, is charging his young apprentice in ministry, Timothy, with these things. And he says in verse 2, he says, preach the word. The idea of preach the word there is to proclaim, to herald, like uh, the herald on the street corners back in the day. Hear ye, hear ye, the word of the Lord. Proclaim the word of the Lord. And then he says, be instant in season, out of season. And the idea of that is not only does it mean to be ready when opportunities seem favorable or unfavorable, but it, it communicates also a sense of urgency. And boy, I tell you folks, it seems like today that we are rushing headlong into the last days. Does that feel that way to you? Um, I mean, some days I read the news, Brother Gilly, and I feel like jumping up and down doing rapture practice because <laughs> it seems it's that close. But the charge there is in, for, in verses 1 and 2. And then, uh, and then in verse 2, he says, uh, Herald, proclaim the word. Keep your sense of urgency. 
and whether the opportunity seems to be favorable or unfavorable. Now, when I mention the second coming of Christ, notice that Paul is mentioning that in verse 1. He says, Lord Jesus Christ who judged the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. We don't know how long we have on this earth. And so we don't know how long we have to give the gospel to people around us. And boy, I tell you, Satan is the master deceiver. He has people kind of going into zombie mode, so to speak, with all of the um, immersion of media around us. You have television and radio and you have internet and cell phone connections and you know, and you have all the social media platforms, and it seems like Satan is able to tighten his blindfold on the unsaved, does it not? And keeps people distracted. He keeps people distracted from seeing the light of the glorious gospel of Christ and the anticipation of his coming. I, you know, I wish I could say, you know, that's what's happening to the unsaved, but it seems like that's happening to saved people too. Becoming dull of hearing, becoming blurred in their, in their vision. And boy, I tell you, more than any time in history, if the Lord's appearing is as soon as we all feel it or think it, then we need to have a sense of urgency in our sense of communicating the gospel. You know, the, probably the biggest um, impediment to believers uh, sharing the gospel with just even their neighbors is this little button device on your visor. <laughs> and it's called the garage door opener. And here your neighbors are all, are all out in the front yard doing this or that, even checking their mailbox or whatnot, and we just push the button, go into our garage door, closes behind us, and never hardly do we talk to our neighbors. Do you know who your neighbors are on the left and the right or the front and the back? Now, you know, I've got an excuse. The back side of my property is Dupree Lakes Boulevard. The front side is a retention pond. So I, those two are eliminated. But I do know my neighbors on the left and right of me. Miguel is a veteran and DJ is a veteran. They're both veterans of the military. And, uh, and uh, Miguel has come to church here. And he's so open. He has health issues. He also has a child with, uh, who's now a teenager with severe learning disabilities. And then, and then DJ... On the other side, he's just a, he's a great young man, um, but he's caught up in American culture. And if it means a little bit of Christianity twice a year, that's good. And uh, that's, that's enough religion for him. But, um, uh, but I do know my neighbors. And I know their spiritual condition, and I love them so much. In fact, you know, um, um, I, I, I talked my wife into letting me get a pressure washer so I could do our driveway. And she's like, yeah, it needs to be done. So I did, and I pressure washed the house, and I pressure washed my vinyl fencing, and, and I was so excited, the difference that it made on my driveway. I'm like, wow, and it didn't take that long. And so I texted DJ, and I said, DJ, um, I'm having so much fun with my pressure washer. He's at work, you know. And uh, I said, can I pressure wash your driveway? Five minutes later, yeah, go for it. <laughs> And, you know, his heart was just open to uh, Teresa and I. He's got two beautiful teenage girls, and at Christmas time, they remember us with thoughtful gifts and cards, and it's just, it's special. And I'm praying for the next opportunity with them with the gospel. Are you doing that? Do you know your neighbors even on the left and right of you? Do you know your neighbors? Or are you just the, uh, 
the push-button Christian who goes into the garage, door closes behind you, all right? And so, but Paul gives a solemn charge because there's a sense of urgency about the coming of Christ. And uh, so um, next in, um, in that passage in first, uh, 2 Timothy rather 4, verse 2, um, he infers by his text there, so whether it's convenient or inconvenient, whether it's welcome or unwelcome, you as a preacher of the word, as a teacher of the word, and that's a sign of maturity, Paul said we ought to be teachers at some stage of our faith, able to teach the gospel at least, and uh, that as a preacher, teacher of the gospel, we're able to show people in what way their lives are wrong and they need Christ. They think they've got it all together. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. You ever heard that? Somebody tell you that? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Thank you, though. Try to be polite. Um, But the Apostle Paul is saying here also in verse 2 that we convince people. We convince people with these terms. (laughs) He uses strong terms. Reprove, rebuke. Now, you know, reprove isn't this finger wagging in your neighbor's face. Okay? That's not that. But sometimes that happens naturally in the, in the occurrence of just a conversation with someone. And the idea of reprove is that they feel they've done something wrong because you've proved the righteousness of God. And that can happen just by being a neighborly person, just talking. Yeah, we, you know, we go to church on Sundays. You know, sometimes your neighbors are wondering, they're wondering, where do you go every Sunday all dressed up? Back in Denver, my neighbor that had soon moved across the street asked, uh, uh, asked, are you guys Jewish? I said, what? He said, yeah, you guys are all dressed up and, and you go someplace every week. I said, well, no, 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 that, we're not Jewish. I said, we, we are, we're Bible-believing Christians. We go to church. And, uh, but do you have a reputation with your neighbors? Where are they going all dressed up every week, you know? And uh, uh, the one neighbor uh, there in Denver, they also, uh, on the other side, they sent their kids to vacation Bible school with us. Their children were saved. Their mom got saved right with God. Dad didn't, dad didn't really take to it. But, uh, but before the kids had come to vacation Bible school and heard the gospel and were saved, one of them came home and said, he, he, they, he went to public school. He comes home, tells his mom, Mom, I want to be Jewish. <laughs> Not to be like us, but she didn't have any idea what he meant. She goes, what do you mean, Jeremy? Well, Mom, my friend at school is Jewish. And, uh, and at Hanukkah, he gets a present every day <laughs> for the week before Christmas, you know. And so that's why he wanted to be Jewish. <laughs> but, uh, you know, are we make, do we know those things about our neighbors? Are we close enough that we hear their, even their funny stories? And um, interesting about that one neighbor, the mom, her name is Shannon, um, she had been raised in one of those California cults in the late 60s, early 70s. And, uh, and her parents were um, uh, missionaries for that cult. There was a cult there in Southern California called the Children of God cult. Thankfully, it's, it's disbanded, but... But her parents came to Colorado years before as, as uh, missionaries with the mission of starting a church of God or children of God cult uh, meeting in Colorado. But thank God she was saved. 
that she heard the gospel, that she sorted out truth and error. Who does that? The Holy Spirit does that. You know, if we will just be faithful to present truth with the opportunities that God gives us, um, then He will do the work. So, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. And uh, the word exhort is a strong word, but it's, it's, it's not a negative word. It is a positive word. It means to, like, encourage. And you do it with all long-suffering, patience towards people around you, and doctrine. Okay? We never lose sight of the major facets of the gospel, the important points of the gospel as we interact with people. Uh, so that's our first point is the charge. Secondly, the confident concern as we see in the life of Paul. This is the passage that Pastor Rick read from. But we're going to back up from verse 32 where he started reading. And we're going we're to move to Acts 17 and look with me at verse 16. Paul's confident concern is evidenced first of all by his stirred spirit. And let me tell you folks, you will never be, have initiative or be effective with the gospel of Christ with people around you unless you finally get stirred up about it. You get stirred up about it. You know, and if we're just, you know, happy-go-lucky, you know, I'm just coasting along in my Christian life, you know, and we never have a burden for those around us. We're never stirred like Paul. Then we'll never be effective. We'll never have the motivation. But look what happens with Paul here in his missionary journey. It says, now in verse 16, now while Paul waited for them at Athens, here's Paul, he's come to Athens. Notice the phrase, his spirit was stirred in him. His spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Boy, do you have a vision for the city in which you live? Do you have a vision for Tampa and the Tampa metro area? Do you get burdened about the affairs of the city of Tampa, you have, you know, persons, you know, uh, that are leading the city that have no idea what the Word of God says about their lifestyle. And so we need to have a burden for the city of Tampa. It's given to its own forms of idolatry, pleasure, lasciviousness, worldliness. Some would say, yeah, even uh, people who have given all of their time on Sundays to following their favorite team. They have no time for God anymore. They have no time because of their hobbies or their pleasures. You could say those have become gods in their lives, couldn't you? And Paul sees this in Athens. His spirit is stirred within him. And, and Paul's not stirred to anger. Please let us understand that. Paul is stirred with a burden, a sadness, because of untold Thousands, and in our world today, millions if not billions, that will fall into hell without trusting Christ as their, as their Savior. And that's what stirs Paul. And, and so in verse 16, it's evidenced his confident concern by a stirred spirit. And then his, uh, he has a bold, prepared message. Look at his message. In Acts chapter 17, verse 17, it says, Therefore disputed he in the synagogue. And the idea of uh, disputed there is, is not that, you know, he had these heightened, elevated, angry debates. But no, he had this back and forth conversation 
with them. He disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Wow, opportunities. Then verse 18, then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics, those are groups of philosophers popular in the day, encountered him. And some said, this is to Paul, no, to each other rather, what will this babbler say? In other words, what is this babbler going to say today? And others, some said, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And remember, you know, Paul says to them later, you know, you've got so many gods, you even, you're afraid you're going to miss one. So you have an altar to an unknown God, Paul says to them later. You're afraid you're going to miss one of the gods. And so their curiosity's peaked. Oh, here's a new God we may have missed. Maybe this God will bring blessing and favor, prosperity on our lives. So verse 19, and by the way, there are people in society like that today. Oh, what new trendy religion is out there now? <laughs> but verse 19, and they took him and brought him unto Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is? Why, what a request to bring him to the public lecture site. To maybe like, an, and it's, you know, they have ruins of these things there in Greece even to this day, you know, like an outdoor amphitorium. What an opportunity. They brought him and asked him to speak. And then verse 20, for thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. Verse 21, for all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. So they weren't prepared for the line to be drawn in the sand with the gospel. They just thought, okay, this is our hobby. We love to hear new stuff. Come tell us something new. Tell us a new story. But look what happens. Paul says in verse 22, He stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he's Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Remember, they had these temples to Zeus and the other gods all around them. And then he declares that, uh, that the creator God of the world and the universe it doesn't dwell in those kinds of temples. Verse 25, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything. And then he makes this important statement, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. Verse 26, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord if haply they might feel after him and find him though he be not far from every one of us. Boy, that's an important phrase. The Lord is not far from anyone who draws nigh to him, right? Especially to come to him by faith in Jesus Christ. And you have the assurance from Scripture, brothers and sisters, that as you witness to people whom God is already working on, whom God already seems to be working in their hearts and lives, you have the assurance of Scripture that you could tell that person, he's not far from you. You're not crying out to God beyond Mars. Right? <clears throat> you know, they've got the new telescope that they've launched. 
amazing images coming back from space, showing us God's creative hand, handiwork. All right, you're not crying out to a God who's that unreachable. You're, you can encourage people who are hearing the gospel that he's not far from every one of us. For in verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being as certain also of our own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold and silver or stone, graven by art, man's device. And you know there's religions out there, even Christian religions, that make statues. And they think that Christianity is praying to this statue of this person and that saint and, and to this person. And that's not Scripture. And that's idolatry. And then verse 30, the times of this ignorance God winked at. And Paul says, verse 30, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. And then verse 31, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness. Boy, there's that judge judgment thing again. You know, our, our world today, they need to know that God is the judge. And there's no second chances when Christ comes back. There are no second chances. And there's no second chances after you've died. There's no purgatory and family can't pray you out into heaven. There's no second chances. And so um, the Apostle Paul here has his bold, prepared message. And then he has a clear conclusion. And in this clear conclusion, he brings the crowd to this decisive decision. And uh, he says there by, in verse 31... He hath appointed a day in the which he'll judge the world of righteousness by that man, who is that man? That's Christ, whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. Oh, Paul's preaching the gospel, death, burial, resurrection, isn't he? And then notice the response there. So he brings this crowd to the decision, and there are three common responses found in verses 32 through 30. Four. It says, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. So that's the first response. The first response is unbelief, disbelief, some mocked. And you know, that's the thing that we all get concerned about when we go to witness. When I go to witness, there's probably not a time when I've not started into the gospel with someone that I didn't have a concern in the back of my head or a full-blown anxious moment thinking, is this person going to accept or reject Christ? And how can I get through the gospel in a humble way that they trust Christ and don't uh, stumble over me to get to Christ? Amen? And the way I present the gospel. So, so some mocked. And then the second response is there in verse 32. And others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. Oh, well, I've had wonderful opportunities. One time, um, we had uh, a man who was a retired sheriff in, uh, in, in Denver. He'd retired from, I think, in uh, New Hampshire area. He'd retired to Colorado, came to Christmas Cantata, he and his wife. And uh, we went back to the gospel, uh, no, started into the gospel. And they couldn't wait to talk with us about things in their life. Oh, we spent over an hour in their home. And I'm like, i got to get my i got to get my outreach team back. So I said, can we come back next week? Oh, please do, come back. Came back the next week. Oh, they talked to us for another hour straight. <laughs> and uh, I, I still didn't get into the gospel, even the second visit. And I, I finally realized, boy, at some point, I've got to just 
impressed that I've got something important I need to tell. I, so I said, Al, I said, next, next, uh, next week, can we come back? Yeah, please do. I said, Al, the reason is I've got something very important I want to share with you. And so we came in next, next week and shared the gospel with he and Mary Jane and uh, left them some materials to read. They didn't trust Christ that night. Al had some incredible objections. You know, when you have uh, a commitment to go out and share the gospel in the community, you don't know what kind of objections people have. And, and Pastor, I've, I've learned from some of your experiences, and we learn from each other's experiences when we talk about them. And, and, uh, and Al, being a retired sheriff, one of his objections was, wait, Troy, are you trying to tell me that this guy that I put in the, in the slammer in jail that, I ha- that he was incarcerated, he murdered a young mother while her toddler was in the car. You're telling me that if he asks God to forgive him and he trusts Christ, like you're saying, that he's going to go to heaven? Are you telling me that? Whoa. You gulp really hard and you say, Holy Spirit, get me out of this one. <laughs> and, and God does. And because of his Catholic background, the Spirit said, go here. And so I did. And I said, Al, you know the story of the crucifixion. Yeah. And, uh, and you know the story of Jesus dying on the cross. What was on either side of him? Oh, two thieves. I said, yeah, they were being executed too. They deserved to die. But do you remember, Al, what, what the thief on one side said? And his eyes got big. He said, yeah. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And I said, what did Jesus say? This day shalt thou be with me in paradise. So yes, Jesus can forgive that man and he can have eternal life, even though he's done a horrible thing. Doesn't mean that Al, he gets out of of jail early. He's going to pay his debt to society. But yes, he could have eternal life. Well, Al, Al was really thinking at that point. And he took that gospel booklet and he texted me Wednesday morning, retired sheriff. He says, Troy, I read the booklet and this is the greatest day of my life. I read the book. It was a small booklet called Done. He said, I read it from cover to cover. I think it was only 85 pages. Um, I sat on my front porch on the steps, read it. And this great day of my life, God has changed my heart. I have a change of mind about this. And I prayed that prayer at the end of the booklet. Oh, boy, I was excited. When I got the story from his wife, she said in her kind of uh, New England accent, she said, I was at the neighbor's, and I came up the porch steps, and Al's got tears coming down his cheeks. And I said, what's the matter with you? (laughs) And he had trusted Christ as a Savior. But but listen, folks, you you know, um, that wasn't without faith on my part, part of my outreach team that were with me that were looking at me when Al had his objections. Gulp, what's pastor going to say now? (laughs) And uh, the Spirit gives us utterance at the time we need it. But it's a matter of faith. And Paul, by faith, he brings these people to this conclusion. So Al wanted to hear more, and he did, and he trusted Christ. And then the third response there is notice in verse 34 Howbeit certain men clave unto him. Oh, I love that. They clung to Paul. They stayed tight with him. And they believed, among the which was Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. So at least four people, at least four people were saved on that occasion. 
Um, and I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that you uh, will don't have to feel this super abundant confidence to just embark on a gospel witnessing opportunity. In fact, Paul talks about, even in his experience years of ministry, that he still shared the gospel with people with fear and trembling. <laughs> I've been there many times. Um, now, uh, I want to give a quick demonstration with the few minutes that we have here. I've asked uh, Brother uh, Dustin to, to come and uh, have him take this seat here. And uh, a demonstration of when you are witnessing to people. And I just want to say quickly that some of you, you don't have a gospel presentation memorized or learned, and that's okay. You can't say, well, I've got an excuse. I don't have to witness to people because I've never taken any outreach training. Voila. Out of my pocket, I pull a gospel tract. <laughs> and this is one from the church here. It says, am I going to heaven? And, you know, if, if you just say, well, I'd like to read this with you here. Can, can I share with you what this? Sometimes people will let you do that, especially if you know what it says. You don't have to have it memorized, but you can share that with people. But, you know, um, some people have learned different methods. Some use the simple acrostic SPPR, supper, sin, price, paid, receive. Some people use that. Starting with Romans 3.23, all have sinned. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. Um, and then you can go on to talk about how we receive Christ. You can talk about that in John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And then you could talk about John 3.16, John 6.47, verily, verily, I say unto you, you can use a gospel tract as your outline to witness to somebody. Um, and then some transitional sentences. And this is kind of uh, where I want to role play with Dustin right now. And in my experience in the training that I provide through Evangelism Explosion, this is kind of the methodology that we've used with people. And one of the things that, uh, that we do, sorry for those of you behind the pulpit, you'll have to just trust me that I'm still here, okay? Even though you can't see me. Um, and that is, uh, uh, we talk about, uh, we ask people how their experience was at First Baptist Church, and most people will say, your church is one of the friendliest churches I've ever been to. And one of the responses to lead into the gospel from that kind of remark is to say something like this. And I've already spent time assuming here with Dustin that we've gotten to know each other a few minutes. And, and Dustin says in response to me, you know, yeah, your church was amazing. And I say, well, uh, Dustin, it's been great talking with you. At First Baptist Church, we believe our people are so friendly and so helpful because they have the hope and the assurance of eternal life. So, uh, Dustin, may I ask you a question? Uh, yes, sir. Have you come to a place in your spiritual life where you know for sure you have eternal life, or is that something you would say you're still working on? Uh, no, I, I don't really think anybody can know for sure. Now, that's a typical answer. I don't know that anybody can know for sure. They're afraid to commit yes or no. And my response is this. Well, you, you know, Dustin, I think you're right. Because without assurance from God himself, no one can know for sure. And God tells us in the scriptures that we can know for sure. In fact, St. John wrote, These things have I written unto you that ye may know that ye have eternal life. So God says in his word that we can know for sure. And so, Dustin, may I share with you how, you can, how I came to know for sure and how you can too? Yes, please. 
All right, great. Well, before I do, let me ask you another question. Suppose, Dustin, you were to die tonight, stand before God, and he were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Uh, I've, I've been good to my neighbor. I, I was baptized when I was younger. Okay. Anything else? I've tried to live by the Ten Commandments. Okay. All right. And so um, let me make sure I understand it. So if you died today and you stood before God and he would say to you, why should I let you know my heaven? You would say, because I've been good to my neighbor. I kept the Ten Commandments. I've been baptized. All right. Well, um, Dustin, when we started talking tonight, I thought I might have some good news to share with you. But after hearing your answer to my two questions, Dustin, I'm sure I have good news to share with you. In fact, it may be the best news you've ever heard in your entire life. Wow. What is it? And that good news is this, that grace, heaven, is a free gift. All right, and that concludes that demonstration. But that's one example of how you can get into the gospel with people on the platform of good news. So you can either go into like the wallet illustration that pastor uses, the Romans road, or some other gospel method you've learned over the years. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. How many of you would say tonight, boy, that's, that's what I needed. Um, and I need, to, I need to study a little bit more on that and take advantage of opportunities around me. Could I see your hand if that's you? Yes, 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 yes. Thank you. How many of you have said, Pastor, uh, I think I've actually missed some golden opportunities. Pray that God will give me another chance with someone. Could I see your hand if that's you? Oh, my. Yes, all over. Lord, I'm praying that your people would be motivated, equipped, stirred in their spirit for not just Tampa, but Lando Lakes, Pasco County. Lord, that we'll reach this community with... uh, with the gospel for you and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.